Hello, everybody. Um, look, I've got a confession to make. What you're about to hear is an absolutely excellent podcast, but sometimes we struggle to arrange podcasts, uh, podcast recordings for mutually convenient times for all the participants. So sometimes what we do is record podcasts in two halves on two different evenings. Uh, and that's what we've done this week, which means what you're about to hear is me introduce Matt Roberts and tell you that we're going to speak to Chris Ballard later to discuss what happened at Taunton. Unfortunately, that was recorded about 24 hours before the game was called off. So uh, it's very much still worth listening to what Chris has to say because we discuss the quite a lot that happened on today, which is Tuesday. Um, but there will be no talk of the Taunton game, despite the fact that I promise you in the introduction there will. Hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 143 of the Talking Talkie podcast. A little bit later, I'm going to be joined by uh, handsome Chris Ballard all the way from the United States. But while he irons his socks or rearranges his teacup drawer or whatever it is he's busy doing for the first 20 minutes, uh, I'm going to talk to Matthew Roberts about what went on on Saturday against Hemel Hempstead. Uh, Matthew, hello. Good evening. Good evening. You have to make do with a slightly less handsome member of the team, I suppose, until I, Chris I gets I won't on. have that. All, all I'll say is it's a bloody good job that this is not a visual medium. How did Saturday... You were there Saturday. I was not, so we've drafted you in to tell me and everybody listening about what on earth went on on Saturday. 2-0 down after 10 minutes and winning 3-2. It was... I was slightly regretting my impromptu decision to head down to play more i only made the decision to leave at about 12 o'clock or so i got into the ground uh, literally as we gave away a penalty um, <laughs> which isn't the best of starts um it was sort of difficult to tell at the time um who was to blame for it but um upon watching the highlights afterwards um i, I saw a lot of people giving Halstead a lot of stick for it but I don't think it was really his fault. He came charging out as he should, but he was left in a tricky position by um, by our two centre-backs who just didn't keep up with whoever the Hemel Hempstead player was who sprinted into the box. I appreciate that you know Moxie isn't perhaps the quickest, neither is Tomlinson, but even so, um, they left Hempstead stranded and it was pretty pretty easy decision for the referee, I thought. And so I thought, oh, that's a pretty bad start. Oh, probably made the wrong decision in coming. But then it got even worse. Um, by um, just almost their next their next attack, uh, which this one definitely was Halstead's fault. Um, it was just, it seemed like there's no communication in the, in the box. I don't know why Halstead tried to come for it. He... It was way outside of his six-yard box, and he got nowhere near it. Just flapped at it. The ball was in a different postcode, I think, compared to the keeper. <laughs> and Halstead ended up on the floor, and it was a pretty easy goal for them. And then I thought, oh, great. Um, we've been doing pretty well lately, and December's gone quite well for us. But this is all coming to a shuddering halt now. Um, but then, uh, 10 minutes later, it was 2-2, so... Um, four goals in the uh, first 25 minutes. I can't really sniff at that. Um, and Ryan Hansen was probably the best 
the best goal of his career and certainly the best I've seen him play um, in a Torquay shirt, which is not too difficult, I suppose. Um, in what was a really good move, I thought. Um, you know, he daisy cut us straight across the turf from just outside the box and, you know, really hit it hard, beat their keeper quite easily um, rather than try to toe poke it towards the goal. Um, and then, you know, we were level a couple of minutes after with a, well, what I thought was an own goal at the time, what I think everyone else did as well. Um, having yeah. seen some highlights, I can see why it would look like an own goal from on the pop side. Yeah, yeah, uh, we were pretty much level with it um, at that end, and uh, we all thought it was an own goal, um, but they they gave it to us. Um, and then I thought, oh come on, yeah, we're in the ascendancy now. We've got to go on and really, really punish them. But then none of that really happened. We, we just the game just settled into a pretty ordinary rhythm for the next for the rest of the half. Neither side really did a whole lot, um, and the second half it continued more, more of the same really. But I thought Halstead redeemed himself completely with some saves, which really kept us in it. Uh, there are a few of these on the highlights, um, but he made I think pretty much I think three crucial interventions, which I think. Um, if he hadn't have if he hadn't have saved them, then I think we would have gone on to lose the game because it was two two at that point. Um, what struck me was that I've seen these games before, where we've just ran out of energy or ran out of belief, got no confidence, and we've either lost the game or just haven't been able to finish it off. Right. Um, but th to me, this is the polar opposite of Dartford, which I was at the other week. Where we just we never got going, yeah. and we looked bereft of any sort of confidence at all. I mean, in this we weren't great. In fact, we were pretty bad most of the time. <laughs> but they were at least giving it a really good go. They never gave up throughout the game, and I thought the goal that we scored at the end that wouldn't have happened a few weeks ago, a month ago, earlier in the season. It certainly wouldn't have happened last season. Okay. Um, it was the best bit of the game from McGavin, who I thought was pretty ordinary right. in fact most people were um, but his cross was something you'd see in a far higher division I thought yes yeah gave him too much space didn't he the, the left back didn't get it but they kept doing that they kept doing it throughout the entire game their defence was so static and so slow that they did give us a lot of space we just didn't do much with it most of the time right. Okay. Um, but McGavin's cross it was like one of those where you it seems it just seems to take an age to get through the get through the air, and about three of our players all went for it, all missed it. I didn't even see Moxie steaming in um, from the left. God, it's the fastest I've seen him move in a long time. Who uh, you know pile drive it into the back of the net, and you know that's that's the sort of um, sort of you know, we haven't had that sort of. Uh, game management, I suppose, or belief for a long, long time. Um, and even though we weren't very good, um, you know, we, we did enough to win the game. And playing badly, but also winning, I think, is a sign of a team that's you know, doing pretty well yeah, at the moment. We, we were decent for... I think we played well more times last year 
than we mm. will this year. Mm. But last year we played well and lost. This year we're playing badly and winning. And we've also got a host of injuries as well. Um, yeah, you know, several key players out. And, you know, playing the likes of Hansen and Jenkins Davies, who probably isn't completely fit yet mm. in midfield, you know, that's that's not anyone's idea of, of um, you know, your, your, first, your first choice at this moment anyway. Um, and you've got Ash and Jarvis out as well still. Um, Lapsley's out, you know, Hall, you know, all, all these players are out, but and yet we're still finding ways to win games. Um, and that's pretty encouraging to me, at least anyway. Yeah, you'd want, you know, coming into the season, you've got to presume that one of, or two of three of Hall, Dawson, Lapsley are going to be fit at any one time. Yeah. They'll all go, they'll have to rotate through because they aren't going to play Saturday, Tuesday. But to have all three out in one go is, you know, very us. You get two strikers, you keep one and you sign one, blokes you were mm. supposed to get 40 or 50 goals between them. This year, they're both out. So it is only December. It's not like they're out in April, late March or early April and you go, well, it's most of the way through the season, eight months into the season. Of course, you know, things have caught up with them bookings or knocks or whatever. You know, we are only three months into the season and somehow half the team's out again. So that's not good. I think it's interesting that we've got the, we've got so many first, first choice players out, but we seem to have picked up more belief in ourselves, a bit more steel in the way we yeah. play, even if it's a bit less good. There's a bit less talent on show. There was more coherence, I thought. I'm just comparing this to other games I've seen this season where we just looked as though the players on the pitch didn't really know who they who everyone else was. But the other day, um it was it was a display where you thought, you know, there's actual communication going on here. There's that they they know what they're doing. They can't always pull it off, and most of the time they didn't. There was a lot of wayward passes, but you could see what they were trying to do. Um, and I don't know whether that's just better coaching, which is happening, or they've had more time to get to know each other. I don't know, but it's pleasing to the eye, at least anyway, well, sometimes um, when they when they get it right. There's a lot of problems still, and I think a better team would have really punished us um, if we'd come up against the likes of Yeovil yeah. or you know, a team like a Avely, which is... Horrible to say. Um, dreadful thing to have to admit. Yeah. Know, <laughs> team like Avely in the division we're in. Oh, Jesus. Who, yeah, who have you know, been better than us. Um, I think if we had faced a better team, then they perhaps would have been out of sight. Mm. Um, and they would have they would have made us pay for the mistakes we made. Like, you know, trying trying to play a cross-field ball across the, the centre circle without really looking and finding a Hemel Hempstead player, but they can't finish it off because they're Hemel Hempstead and they're not yeah. very good. And you know, glaciers melt faster than they run. Um, it's We got off lightly at times. Okay, that's interesting. Um, right. Are we... I mean, that, le that win leaves us second in the table. We got off lightly in the game. Are we getting off lightly all season? How on earth is this dreadful Chalk United side 
second behind Yeovil and the again this is an embarrassing thing to have to say and the resources that they have compared with the division we're in how on earth have we been so bad and yet we're second what's going I was, on i was talking about this with a few others on saturday and I, I, I the thing which strikes me is that you know we are not particularly good you know at the best of times i think i think it points towards one inescapable conclusion, which is that the division, the the division is absolutely shite. It's it's that bad. Um, I mean, you, you had there were players for Hamill who, you know, just looked seriously unfit. Their mm. defence was mind-bogglingly slow, and it, it was our fault that we just we just couldn't crack it at times. Like you had um, De Silva who came on. Mm. I, I really want to like him, but all he has is pace. Right. He just doesn't know what to do with it. He he, he can go forward and find plenty of, of space on the wing, but then he gets to the defender on the edge of the box who is much slower than him and far bigger. And you think, just go around him. take Just try and take him on. But... I don't. I didn't. I didn't see him beat his man on Saturday. I thought, God, come on, you've got to, you've got to do better than better than this against the likes of Hemel Hempstead. Um, but I, th- I know we're only playing teams at the moment who are pretty low down on the table, and we'll see what we do against you know, the likes of Yeovil, I suppose, next next year, and a few of the better teams. But I don't really think there's anyone to be afraid of, not in this league anyway. Um, it, it, it's. I think it is largely down to the fact that the opposition is seriously poor, poorer than us um, at the moment, at least. Anyway. Yeah, I've not. Um, I wasn't at Worthing or Dartford, um, but the the games I've seen us lose, like Hemel Hempstead away. Yeah. I mean, they were three two. Yeah, the reverse. They they were hopeless. You know, Ross Marshall gave them a goal inexplicably need a corner that was going out for a, a cross that was going out for a goal kick, need it back across the six-yard box five minutes in. And Neblo couldn't believe his luck. He just smashed it into the into the net with Halstead stranded. And then it was an hour and a half of us just attacking and whatever else. I mean, again, we weren't very good, mm. but they did absolutely nothing. We got the equaliser, we got the one to take the lead, lovely, fine, brilliant. You're thinking, right, you know, five minutes to go. We've been much better than them. Okay. And then they bring on some massive black guy. They get a corner. He heads it either in or across, can't remember. But, like, you know where it's going. The guy who's six foot eight stood at the far post. That's where the corner's going. So just put somebody massive on him and and shove him out of the way. Uh, And then a minute later, he he runs through us and smashes another one into the net. And they've got two goals in one minute, two minutes after we went two one up. Well, the goals that we conceded on Saturday were all of our own making. We we didn't shouldn't have left Halstead stranded where he was for the penalty, and we shouldn't have the corner which we conceded for the second goal was easily defendable. It's nothing right. particularly taxing about it. Um, I mean, against Dartford, it wasn't that they were particularly amazing. They did look decent at times, but. We gave away all of those goals, and we would 
generally appalling throughout the entire game. We we never got going. I think when we do actually turn up at games, then we do quite well. Um, but it's just finding that consistency, which we haven't really at the moment. Uh, I think when we do, then we'll be really we'll be quite good. Um, but there's certainly far more signs or reasons to be positive, at least in my book, compared to a month ago or a few you know a few weeks ago. It does seem as though we're, we're actually we actually know what we're doing now. Or finding some sort of some sort of rhythm to our games. Yeah, we've won five. Well, we've won the last five in all all competitions, and we've won what one, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Last ten games, we've won eight of them. We got beaten yeah, you by. Wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it, would you? No, not really. You, we, you know, we've been beaten by Yeovil. Fine, you know, and. Um, the Dartford result. So we got done over by the team who were top, and the team uh, team where we just didn't turn up at all. Yeah. We can't, you know, unlike five years ago, whenever it was, we were last down here. We are not good enough to not turn up and still win games. No, no. There, there I mean, were the... occasionally games that year where actually we weren't very good, but we'd mm. win two 0 anyway. Yeah, I, th- I think one such result was probably was it Boxing Day, um, twenty twenty eighteen, where we, we played Truro. I think we, I think we won four two, but I don't think we played very well at all at the time. Oh no, we scored. Was that when we scored four bangers? We had might the, well have been. I'm trying to remember. It was a long, long time ago. Smashed it into the top corner. Lemon Evans scooped the ball from out wide. He scooped it over the goalie. Because you have a better memory yeah, than I do. Because we played them twice, didn't we? Because at Plainmore, because obviously they were using our ground. And the, yeah, we it was its own goal of the season competition in one game. I can't remember the other two, but those were definitely mm-hmm. the two of them. I've yeah, asked was... Alexis since. I said, is that the best goal you've ever scored? He said, no. I thought, oh, cheers, pal. Don't worry about it. And he got one for, I can't remember, he said Solihull or somebody else um, that he thinks more of. But he, yeah, it was. Um, I do remember that when Reedy gives him the ball and he goes and blasts it in and the, the highlight actually isn't the goal, it's Reedy with his hands on his head running away like he can't believe it. Yeah, it was good fun, that. Um, uh, there, there is a big difference between the team then, of course, and and now. Um, it's like you say, you know, back then we would leave teams in, in our dust after about 60 minutes because they just keep, couldn't keep up. Um, but now we don't have that sort of individual quality. Um, I think the division is just as bad as it was then, uh, with the exception of Yeovil. Um, but I think now we do have to try a lot harder to win games. Like we we went, you know, we we gave it everything right the way up until the 89th minute the other day, and needed it. I don't think that I don't think this would have happened five years ago. No, we'd have. You know, we've tucked away some of those a few of those other chances that we we made. The one they cleared off a line, cut the saves their goalie made. You, we did rub those in various other bits. So, no, okay, fair enough. Um, I tell you what wasn't on the highlights, so I haven't seen it. Why was Brett McGovern sent off? Nobody could work it out. Oh, because <laughs> well, nobody around me was even remotely aware why he'd been sent off. Um. <laughs> It either it was for perhaps kicking the ball away 
before the whistle had gone and the referee thought, oh, he's, he's kicked the ball away just as I've blown. Right. Um, or it was for an extremely soft tackle. Um, but either way, it was a perplexing decision, but it wasn't completely out of character for the referee because I, I thought it was a bit of an erratic performance. In the first half, he seemed to let a lot go, which I thought, oh, this is good. And there's plenty of tackles here, which you, know, you, you would think, oh, you've seen other referees give these. But then he became, unfortunately, he, paint, he um, painted himself in a bit of a corner because he he gave one really soft yellow card. And then it was like, I've got to keep giving more yellow cards, more yellow cards now for the same sort of thing. And it ruined the flow of the game. Um, I don't know how many yellow cards he handed out, but it felt like a lot. Um, One of like, being at our level is you flash scores won't tell you that. It does no. in the National League, and it obviously does in the league, but you won't tell you at our level, which is really annoying. I've also never seen a referee uh, pick a fight with a ball boy before. Oh, yeah, I heard about this. Yeah, um, the the little ball boy he couldn't have been any older than about ten or so um, by the by the pop side in the family stand. Um, I don't know whether he just didn't give the ball back quick enough to the to the Hemel goalkeeper or whatnot. Referee comes right over to him, and it just has a word with him, you know, for about I don't know, a good thirty seconds or so, and and the the little boy looks a bit. Yeah, a bit taken aback by it all. I thought, why is any of this necessary? I mean, um, just just give you a universal. Come on, kids, speed it up. Yeah, no, no, he has to go over and and give the ball boy a talking to. Yeah. So we fair. I mean, the referee himself looked barely older than the ball boy. Um, uh, he looked like he looked like Dan Martin's twin brother. Actually, I thought, oh, poor sod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've forgotten. That Dan Martin played for us. I thought we told him or given him away or whatever. Or well, he's we... always injured. He is. Um, he's been injured for two years now. Is it time to probably let him go and get another job? Well, he probably should have been in the summer because he wasn't on. It was, his contract was a bit different than everybody else's, wasn't it? He, uh, I think he was given time to prove his fitness, and then he was given a contract. So he clearly proved his fitness, but then it all went to pot again. Right, and he's right. he's played how many games a season? It can't be any more than about five. Yeah, so I think he's played two or three. But yeah, and I, I can't believe he's done ninety minutes either yet. Hmm. Okay, um, which is a shame. He's never really recovered to this to the sort of level which he had, um, which started about two years ago when we played Weymouth and we played really well, and then he went on a very good run of form. But then last season he was injured pretty much all the time, and this season he's been injured pretty much all the time. So I don't really know why we've kept hold of him, to be honest. The most talky player of about sums up about our like well the whole Gary Johnson tenure, doesn't it? Having blokes just permanently injured. I mean, um, Kevin Dawson, Gary Nelson. What was his name? Oh, um, can't remember his first Andrew, name. Andrew Nelson. Andrew Nelson. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He played. Um, what was it? Never kicked a ball for us. He played for about half an hour in a preseason friendly, I think, didn't he? Um, against, might have been against Hemel Hempstead actually, or um, in the in the COVID season. Okay. Uh, and I think he played about half an hour in that. I'm not sure whether he got sent off or not. I might be making that up completely, but he definitely didn't finish that game. 
Okay. And then somehow he, he, got, he got injured. Tweet us the answer to this, because I want to know now. I'm going to find out that it wasn't against Hemel Hempstead at all, and he didn't get sent off, and it was something completely different. Right. Probably wasn't even probably wasn't even playing that day. Um, but <laughs> he, he then he, he just disappeared and was the subject of internet um, theories for about ooh, eight or nine months until some news finally broke. Yeah, that I don't like about this. Just to, if a bloke's going to be out for maybe a week, maybe a fortnight. Don't say anything. Mm. So the opposition no don't know. But like particularly at this level, where the opposition manager doesn't know anything about our players anyway, they are not spending hours pouring over Y Scout videos of blokes who may or may not be playing and then adjusting their training and tactics accordingly. Eleven hungover plasterers turn up on a Saturday, get the team bus, come down to play more and sort of do a decent impression of people who know how to play football. It really doesn't matter if you tell us, oh, yeah, Dawson's going to be out for six to nine months. You go, okay, fine. Nearer yeah. the time, don't let him know. But they're not planning on seeing him because what they're doing is going through the Sky Sports app and going, what was their lineup in the last game? Oh, it'll probably be that again then, assuming nobody got sent off or injured. Yeah, probably be that. Okay, so we're expecting something like that. These are not great tactical minds. They're not, they've not got departments drawing up analyses of different, you know, percentage odds on different players going which way at set pieces and that. It's just not. So it really doesn't matter if you that go, was, that, yeah, not going to play. That was Froome's problem, you see, because they didn't anticipate us playing all those children. Um, and then they got completely done over by them. They expected Torquay to be playing a full-strength squad. And I see. Yeah, the, the, yeah, they, the they've been training and watching, assuming that all of our senior players will be playing. But then, you know, they were completely bamboozled when Gary, he, he rolled out all the kids. Gary selected yeah, a handful of, of under-sevens or whatever they were to come on and do the level best they could. Yeah, I think it, does make, it does make you feel old when you realise that you're... You know, you're 30 and you're almost double the age of some of the people who are playing on the pitch against Froome. Yeah, you're watching some of these, and you go in, you know, some of these children are just that, they are children, and yet yeah. here they are out here yeah, doing a remarkable just, job. I mean, you, yeah, I mean, you're just thinking, you know, that, that lad, one of those lads could be the next Ashley Yeoman. <laughs> the next Ray Spear. <laughs> Who was the one, the ginger one, who went to Australia? What was he called? He was going to be brilliant, and then he was just awful. No, can't remember. Um, so many of them. Yeah, I don't think he ever actually played for us, but he was in the youth team, and he got... Uh, Nathan Craig, was it? Uh, no, we got him from somewhere else. He was all right. I liked Nathan Craig. No, this was a bloke that came through our youth system. Poor bloke. And he had a, he had a funny run, and... Uh, he yeah, he got like 130 goals or something in the youth team and never kicked a ball for the starting 11, which was really sad. Sounds par for the course for us. That is about right for us, isn't it? Yeah, right. I think we have exhausted, exhausted everything we could possibly say about the Hemel Hempstead game. So I'm going to let you go and then I'm going to draft in um, Ballard to come and talk to us about... Tuesday's game, which will be hopefully equally as interesting. 
So thank you very much to uh, Matthew. We will catch up with you at some stage in the future. Cheers. Thank you very much. And now, as if by magic, sliding seamlessly in is Christopher Ballard. Welcome, Mr. B, all the way from the United States. Hello. Thank you. Hi. How are you? I'm very, very well. Thank you. Yeah, we've um, just spent half an hour, I don't know, discussing a 3-2 win over Hemel Hempstead with Matty Roberts. And now you are here to tell us all about <laughs> the Taunton Town game. What happened at Taunton, Chris? This is apparently something that's a theme this week. It got very damp. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, the pitch is underwater, similar in many ways to my basement. And like Taunton's ground, there will be no football happening in my basement today. Um, I think Taunton's ground is basically built on clay, which makes it very hard to drain. So they have a history of postponements. Um, and today was not a surprise. I saw a picture on Twitter of, a, of, I don't know, the gender of the person. So I'll say a person saying, looks fine to me. But then when you zoom in, you see like puddles everywhere. Um, so it was never going to be on. Um, is that good or bad? It's good. More time to rest up. They're going to have a bunch of fixtures later on in the season. We probably won't play this until March. And they'll be knackered. Yeah. Um, so, moving on. I'm glad that we give some... I hope we didn't drive. I guess we probably would have been driving up at that point. But presumably we didn't get too far. It's only an hour and a half away anyway. Um, they can get back into train tomorrow. Maybe one or two of the Crocs can show up as well and we'll, we'll go into Saturday's game feeling a little bit more optimistic. Yeah, I think there's, of all of them, I think there's an outside chance of Lapsley being back Saturday. Definitely wouldn't have made tonight, but I think there is a there is a chance. Um, I, who, who did I heard it on the grapevine? Can't remember, but it was, I heard it on the grapevine from a very reliable source uh, that he wouldn't be fit for today, but probably could be fit for Saturday if he tried. Um, and that's good because, you know, presumably McGavin will be suspended for Saturday. I think it takes a week for suspensions to kick in. He was sent off on Saturday. Um, so he would have been eligible for this evening, but he's obviously not going to play Saturday. So Saturday is probably the game that we need a Lapley to be more available if possible. Yeah, because we're missing... Um... Well, since we've got no games to talk about, we've got plenty of other stuff. Um, we are missing Donnellan now. Yes. He won't play for us, so he can't come in because he has been sold to the Scottish Premier League. St Mirren? Where's he gone? He's gone. To, this is the kind of research that we do on this podcast, isn't it? He's gone to Livingston. Livingston. There you go. I um, can name one Scottish club. Of course can. Yes. Um do you reckon when he goes into the physio room, because he's clearly going to get injured, he's going to say, Doctor in Livingston, I presume. Because that would be that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, I don't know how many of our listeners are over the age of 85, but th that's a joke for you. If you're listening, if you've made it this far through without nodding off in your care home, that's a joke for you. Um, given some of the jokes that I did have ready for today, that is the one thing that I'm going to be allowed. That's going to get past the senses. Um, okay, Editor P won't be snipping that out. No, okay, fair enough. Won't really um, so, joke. Just get past yeah, it. It's it, it, it's good. I mean, you know, we first off, let, let's talk about it. So the statement says that they had signed a pre-contract agreement with Donnellan or Donnellan. I think I vary between those two pronunciations to join them in the summer after his contract runs out. Um, Talkie have agreed to let him go 
January 1st. That fits the window, the transfer window that the Scottish League clubs are beholden to. Fine. There's been some suggestion that that means that we've let them go for free. Um, we don't know that. We also don't not know that. <laughs> um, yes. So for us to release him or to let him go early, there must be something of value in it for us. That could be, great, we haven't got to pay this guy six months. Or it could be that Livingston have decided they're so desperate, and they had to be quite desperate, let's be honest, to sign a utility player from a National League South Stice and to give him their number two shirt. They have to really need some backup. So I can see it being very possible that they've paid a nominal fee. I don't know what counts as a nominal fee, five grand, ten grand, to Torquay for us to let him go early, um, which... That if that's the case, great. Again, I think we've said with any kind of prospect of player sales since time immemorial means nothing if we don't then replace him with at least as good, if not better. Um, so I think we we wish him all the best playing against Celtic and Rangers and also Ross County and Adrianians or whoever it might be, Wraith Rovers perhaps. I don't know who's in that division. Um, it's probably a good move for him because he does get to play at better places. Perhaps he's getting paid more money. Again, don't begrudge anybody that much. So away you go, Sean. Try not to get caught upfield when buckling and out of defence because you'll concede again. Yeah, I mean, my my bias against Donnellan started at Notts County away when he played out on the right wing and looked completely uninterested in everything to do with being a human being, let alone a footballer. Like he didn't seem like he could be asked to move his diaphragm up and down to perform aerobic respiration. He was that not asked that day. And that was the first time I'd had a really good look at him in person. And he never really in my mind actually recovered from that. He put in one or two half decent performances, but I, I mean, think when we were, struggling as badly as we were certainly last season um you look for any because there, there's no skill on display right before about february of last season yeah. so you look for any kind of effort you look for any kind of you know you you think oh he's done that thing he's kept the ball well go sean and he was the victim of our all-around crapness last year because we made him seem better than he actually is um I would. I think his effort's been admirable. I don't remember that Ross County game, but most of the games that I've had the, let's say, privilege to watch, um, <laughs> he's he's worked very hard. Um, but he was one of the least bad of a very bad squad for the majority of last season. So the fact that no national league sides came in for him in the summer suggests that he's perhaps not anybody who's going to be tearing up trees. It would be entertaining to see him score Ibrox though. <laughs> Oh, yeah, look, I know. I I hope he goes on to do really, really well. I mean, in fairness, I hope Sean McGinty went on to do really, really well when he left wherever the hell he went in Scottish football, rated as the worst footballer ever to play in that division. I mean, it's the SPL, for crying out loud. That's a hell of a thing to say about a bloke. So, you know, fine. I, I wish him no ill will and I hope he gets on all right. But do, do I really care that a bloke who... I've been going 20 years. Do I honestly care that a guy who would not get into any other team 
I, I mean, would he even get into the uh, Gravy Gary side that got relegated and then finished about 13th or ended up being about 13th or 14th in the National League? I don't think he does. So I think he probably only gets into our team on the basis that this is literally the worst Torquay United side in our 124-year history. So, yeah. OK, he's I mean, gone. He's been playing right back for most of his time here. We could both name a dozen right backs off the top of our head who are far superior who played for Torquay. Yeah, you know. A dozen. Uh, I could probably name Ross Marshall as somebody who's better than him right now. You know, a yeah. on the right side there, so... Barn, the bloke he replaced, effectively Ben Winter, doesn't kick a ball for mid-table in the National League, Barnet. Right. And Ben Winter would walk back into our team in a heartbeat. He'd be our best player by a country mile. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was a big step down. I appreciate that he maybe had slightly big boots to fill because of all that Ben Winter meant to us. But... You know, so what? I think Mark Hurst um, on Twitter has hit the nail on the head. He described, he says he's a utility player that last season you could never say was good enough to nail down a single position as his own. Yeah, that's correct. Consequently, if his 5.5, presumably out of 10, end of season rating on the website, I'm not sure which website, was bang on. Yeah, 5 out of 10. Just a bit better than bang average. Fine. Uh, he's a National League South standard player. Let's try to bring in someone better than that. Yeah. 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 I mean, he was never intended to be a right back. I think the beginning of last season, we expected Dylan Crow to be that guy who then turned out to not be very good. And we were desperate. So that's where he went. And he was, as Mark said, he was a five and a half player out of 10. And five of those five and a half points would have been for sheer effort, <laughs> which is the bare minimum you should expect. No one should be less than six out of 10. Because yeah, you should because, be five points just for showing up and yeah. not being lazy. Running around and getting stuck yeah. in and, and everything else. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Cheerio, um, Sean. I hope you have a lovely time. You've got fascinating eyes and you're much better looking than you look on TV in person. But And we'll see you in two years' time when you're playing for Maidenhead. That would be of no surprise to me whatsoever. <laughs> right. if he, yeah. He, he went up there, made a handful of errors in his first few games, never played again, saw out the remainder of his two-and-a-half-year contract up there, made a load of money, came back down here, went part-time. Fine. OK, have a lovely time. Right, so that's that dealt with then. Um, he's gone and we don't care. Um, so they've released a video today, surprised us all with a video, of um, Mel Heyman... Clark Osborne, George Edwards and Gary answering at least some of, we think most of, if not all of, the questions that have been submitted online. Yes. Um, um, Chris drew the short straw, so he has volunteered to watch uh, the video or at least listen to it while he was doing his nails or whatever. So um, what happened? What went on? Well, I mean, this is the, the online fans forum that they requested questions for. I want to say, I think the last day for questions was December the 6th. So it's probably a month ago they asked for it. Um, not long after one of the um, Tust events, I think it was. Um, so the four of them were in a room speaking to, I believe, probably Dominic. Um, and to be fair, 
they answered more questions and harder questions than I expected. When this exercise was announced, I expected them to get 100 questions and ask the ones like, Carl Cosborn, what's your favorite color? Because you're so great. Um, but we didn't get that. We did get some harder questions. I'm not going to go through each question individually because A, that's not a very good podcast, and B, I don't remember most of them. Um, but the first thing to notice was that Clark Osborne does what Clark Osborne has done for a long time and answers questions very well, very convincingly. Like the first question was to him, and he spoke at length about some of the projects that he's done and some of his plans. And I thought, oh, you've convinced me because he just speaks in a way that encourages you to believe him. Um, I can't say for, for sure if all of the things he mentioned, particularly in regards to some of the building projects he's been involved with, I can't say if they're true. I have no reason to disbelieve them. Um, I feel like he would get found out very quickly if they were outright lies told. Um, and then there were also some questions that were a little bit more strident towards Gary. Um, one of them that I do remember was, why didn't we fire Gary Johnson? I'm paraphrasing, but you know, given how bad we were, why did we not bring in a younger coach with new ideas? Which I thought was a ballsy question to ask. And I do wonder if this online forum made it easier for people to ask that question. Hmm. I wonder if, had he been in Boots and Laces on a Tuesday evening, I don't know why I said Tuesday, it could be any night, whether people would ask him face-to-face. -face. I know some would, um, but you know, he answered, basically, I'm the right guy to get up. And George Edwards said, you know, he's the best manager to take us back up to where we belong. Um, at various points, they both Edwards and Osborne reiterated that the reason we get the quality of loans that we do is because of Gary Johnson, which I will believe. You know, we've had some crappy loans, but we've had some fantastic loans. And there's no way we would be getting those without Gary Johnson's connections. Um, okay, half of those connections are his son. That's fine. Um, but, you know, that pipeline has yielded some very good results for us from Bristol City, you know, Fleetwood more recently. Um, I came away feeling that it was a step in the right direction. Um, I, I think the pressure that's being put on by the fans and, you know, the, the trust have been a part of that. It's clearly yielding some results because they've had to make an effort to be more transparent and forthcoming with information. There are some things they can't reveal. Okay, fine. So then one of the questions was, where's the stadium going to be? <laughs> and he was like, well, I can't tell you that because we've engaged this company to help us find a stadium. There was a small tidbit saying that when they're not, they hope to be in Torbay, but they may not be. If there's a site outside of Torbay, it suggests that they would look at it. Um, I think that's a terrible idea, mainly because we're struggling for fans already to go into Exeter's catchment area is asking for trouble. <laughs> um, yeah. But I can see why if they're having trouble finding a site within the fines of Torbay, they might have to look elsewhere. Um, but like I say, it, it was a step in the right direction. I would like them to follow it up with another one. I can't remember if this was part one or whether this was the entire thing, but regardless, they need to come back in March and answer some new questions. And not the same ones again, because that's boring for everybody. I sat through 52 minutes and I can remember about four questions. Um, but at least they might have some news to share. Oh, hey, you know, we've looked at four sites. Three of them are unworkable. The fourth one, we can't tell you where it is, but we are investigating further. Okay, that's progress. They seem convinced that the club is going to get a new stadium. Um, which is admirable faith because so far we have nothing to back up that assertion. Um, 
we don't know what's going on in the background. I, I've said before, I don't necessarily disagree that the way the club can grow is to have a new stadium. I just don't think we're at that point yet. We're in the National League South. <laughs> we're playing teams who have stadiums that can hold a thousand people. We don't need a new stadium just now. If we're ever in League Two, that's the time to think about it. No, you just did. I was, um, I, I happened to be talking to a Sutton supporter on Sunday. Um, and the, the sort of the first thing he said, apart from the whole laughing about the 8 0 scoreline and that, was that the worst thing that ever happened to them was getting promoted to the Football League because they spent 600 grand, like usually their entire annual budget, on ripping up a perfectly serviceable plastic pitch that made them good money and laying down a turf surface only three years later to be bottom of the league and almost certainly going back down to where a plastic pitch is allowed and probably never troubling the football league again. But now they can't afford to relay the plastic pitch, so they've lost out twice. They've lost out on 600 grand that they'd rather not have spent on effectively replacing something they already had, and they've lost the income stream from that. So my question that never gets asked is when Osborne is saying we're going to build a new ground and it's going to have a 4G pitch and we're going to use it, we're going to host concerts on it and dance recitals and the school kids are going to be on there playing and we're going to charge them a fortune and make a load of money. Right. But that that limits your ambition to the National League. And every time you get anywhere near winning the National League or getting in the playoffs or whatever, you have to go, oh, shit, we we're going to lose 80% of our income and it's going to cost us three quarters of a million quid or whatever to replace our only real source of income. What the hell do we do now? Because we've got this 25,000 all-seater stadium that we can't get more than 1,500 people in because it's in Tinmouth or Bobby Tracy or wherever and no bugger can get to it. Or and it, it just doesn't seem to me like a particularly sound long-term idea what sounds like a particularly sound long-term idea is to promise all this bullshit and then get a site not play more down build a load of houses on it and run away because i'm the owner and i'm 80 and i've made 20 million quid and i don't actually give a shit about talking united at all um i don't recall him ever saying it would be a 4g pitch um so if he has said that then that's news to me and that would be a concern. well that's the only way they, they're always on about hosting concerts and stuff oh we could have concerts in the summer and this that and it's the only way you can do that is if you can have stuff on the pitch so there's no way there can be a cover that goes over like a hard cover i mean i know then you're getting into you know next generation stadium technology right you know you're not it's not fucking london stadium yeah um, we're not going to be having retractable yeah. uh, so you build something that's like still going to knacker it the groundsman's going to turn up and go okay i've got Six weeks, because that's how long you get. You know, summer is really short now. I've yeah. got six weeks to rip this pitch up, relay it, flatten it, put drainage in, get grass on it, get grow lights on it, get the surface growing, get it cut, get it firm, all these things. We haven't got time to be having a cover on it every five minutes or whatever. It's just not workable. The only way it can work, on unless you're going to have some £2 million Premier League standard pitch, that is semi-synthetic anyway, and you can probably do these things too and then get grow lights in to help it recover in short order and all that, is have a plastic pitch. It's the only answer. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I don't know that much about 3D pitches. My assumption had always been that we'd build a stadium, not 25,000 seats, 10,000 would be too many. 
even if we were in League One, we probably wouldn't get 10,000 every week, um, would be to have a stadium with some grass, with a field, and some banqueting and conference facilities with a 3D pitch, if not right next door, fairly close. And I think that's why, if you think about the long-term plan, I think a training facility makes sense first, because then you can put that out of town, no one will care, you can rent that out, you can make money, and then you can use that to finance the stadium. Um, redeveloping play more is not ever going to be on the cards because there's just no space. There's no space around it. That's the, that's the other issue that I've always had with the plan. Is this is all right? I want conference centers and I want a hotel and I want leisure facilities. And I'm like, that's absolutely fine, Clark. Go and buy a hotel in Torquay. There are fucking millions of them. And go and build a bowl of Rama. On the seafront, they'll let you do that. They won't let you put the ground there because you can't put the ground there because it will get flooded. But you can build a bowl of armor and you can build a five-star hotel and you can build a Frankie and Benny's. No one will stop you doing that. Council will fall over themselves to sell you a load of land on the seafront to do that. Shitloads of parking, big entertainment venue, batting cage, mini golf, fucking zoo, petting zoo, doesn't matter. Like, you know, the How old hard penny, would it be? penny nasties, penny dreadfuls. Fine, you want to put that up. Do that, make your millions, plough that money into your hobby, Talkie United. No one on God's green earth is going, where shall we go today? Oh, let's go to the cinema. No, I won't go to the cinema. It's not attached to the ground of a non-league football club, so I won't go. Chelsea sell out the hotel. Old Trafford Cricket Ground sells out the hotel because what you get is a an experience in the hotel that relates to the sport of the ground that it's next to or attached to or part of who in their right mind is going to go and stay in a premier inn on the basis that it's attached to whatever they call new plane more. Absolutely nobody. No. So it doesn't, it's not going to attract anybody. We're not going to get more away supporters because they've got, while, while we've done the 700 mile round trip to plane more, shall we have a burger and chips in there? Cause they've got something at the ground as if it makes no sense. That whole idea of having a, I've seen those kind of developments work over here where you have a stadium and then you build up the areas around it. That's fine when you're getting 25,000 people. When you're getting 2,000 people in the National League South on a good day, doesn't work. And the away fans, like if you were in League One and League One had teams like Derby County and Bolton and Sheffield Wednesday, great. You could probably make a bit of money out of those three teams coming down. But right now, how many came to uh, the game on 35 from Hell Hempstead? Exactly. Like, those fuckers all went home the same day, or they lived locally. Yeah. Um, you're not making the money. I I can see a case for a, an entertainment complex of which the stadium would be a part, because you could make money from the other stuff. But then you need a larger footprint. There's no footprint in Playmore. I would love to know if, like, you know, you kind of have, oh, I'm going to take a look at Google Maps. Oh, look, there's that rugby club down by the seafront. That'd be a great place. Okay, it might get a bit damp, but we can probably figure that out. But there's still not a lot of space around there for anything else. So you're looking out of town. There's a bunch of land at the edge of town where, you know, agents well. I think that seems to be one of the better options if you can get the land there because there's going to be rail transport very soon. There's quite a bit of land. But then you're not looking at building a 10,000-seat stadium for 3 million quid. You're looking at building a whole complex and you're looking at 20 million quid before you even put any tenants in there. Yeah. Um, and Clark Osborne is 
like you said, close to 80, I think, 75. I'm not sure exactly how old he is, but he's of retirement age already. Why doesn't he just enjoy his ill-gotten gains <laughs> and, you know, pay a ticket? If he loves Talk United that much, which he said he did in the interview, he said, you know, it's got into his, under his skin. Okay, fine. It hasn't. Pay a ticket and go watch it. Yeah, like I, I, I don't know what to... I'm always confused by these people who have more money than they could possibly need. Looking at you, Michelle Moan. Like, just... So you've nicked 60 million quid off the taxpayer. You've bought a yacht with it. Why are you in the Lords? What what's what point does that serve? Why do you bother your ass trailing into central London to sign in to get 300 quid and a subsidised lunch? Just fuck off to the Bahamas. Do you think if I had 60 million pounds or however much Clark Osborne is worth, I'd be bothering my ass, and I'm half his age, to con another small football club out of a few million quid for some ropey houses in a shithole bit of Torquay. Could you be arsed with any of that? Sure. Well, just... It's ego, isn't it? There's, oh. there's a huge amount of ego. Like Michelle Mann is a good example because, you know, she I think she had a fairly successful business before she got involved in politics. Yeah, they're already like, rich. Yeah. Right, so you must want to feel as though people can say, Look at that person, what a paragon of virtue and a pillar of the community they are. Um, if I had 60 million quid to go, you know, would I buy well, I wouldn't buy a club that wasn't Torquay. I wouldn't be interested in buying South End. Yeah, no, absolutely so not. You'd buy your own club because you were invested in it already emotionally. You don't get into football expecting to make money unless you're doing something nefarious or you're doing yeah, you know, um, you, the first they say the fastest way to become a millionaire is to be a billionaire and buy a football club. Yeah, like it's just it's always going to lose your money. Why is he bothering? There can't be that much money in it, and he obviously doesn't care. So it must be some mental fragility on his part. And then, anyway, that's not the fucking point of it. The point of this is we've uh, he's answered some questions. If you haven't watched it, watch it because I'm sure it's very interesting, even though it's 50-odd minutes long. Although, handy hint, um, YouTube will, because you can watch it on YouTube, it will let you change the speed of the video. Um, and I think up to about one and a half times speed, it leaves the audio on. If you go any faster than that, it takes it off. So you could sort of speed it up a bit if you didn't have 50 minutes of your life to spend listening to some posh white people lying to you. I don't think necessarily they're all that posh. I wouldn't call Gary Johnson posh. No, actually, that's true. He'd probably resent that, wouldn't he? Okay. I'd well, Mel Heyman posh either. They're people lying to you anyway. Yeah. Um, you can tell that George Edwards is lying because his lips are moving. Um, so there's only one final third thing uh, to say, and that is to point you towards the plight of the son of Jakob Sokolik, uh, who was a player for us some number of years ago, I think under Gary Hours. Somebody will correct me in the comments, I'm sure, fairly soon. Um, his son has a particular form of leukaemia that it affects very small children, uh, and he needs quite a lot of money to take the child and give him um, specialist cancer treatment. So there'll be a link to that fundraiser below the tweet with this podcast in it um so do if you can if you've got any spare money i'm aware that it's the week before christmas and that nobody apart from michelle moan apparently has got any money um so 
if you can, please do. And if you can't, don't feel bad because it's understandable. And with that, I think, unless you've got any other business, any other other business. I do not have any other other business. I mean, we can look forward to the weekend's game. Want to do that? Oh, yeah, we could. Couldn't we? Who have we got the weekend? Cheltenham. Cheltenham. I wish we had Cheltenham. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, yes. Chelmsford. Yes. And that's a 3G picture, I think, isn't it? Oh, God, not more plastic. Bloody hell. Um, Hang on, I've got a gripe because we mentioned uh, Sutton earlier. I've got a gripe that Gary Johnson said that uh, whenever we won on plastic two or three weeks ago, it was the first time we'd ever won on plastic. And that can't be true because we beat Sutton 1-0 with an Asa Hall header in the year we didn't go up. Yeah, we've beaten teams on artificial turf. That's It's also a crap excuse because there's only eight of them. So even if you lose all eight of those games, there are enough points to be in a better position than we have been until recently. Uh, there are 38, so was there 114 more points that you could yes. win? I don't imagine you're really going to get 114 points. If we lost every single game at an artificial turf surface, but won everything else, nobody would complain about the artificial surfaces anymore. No. It's not artificial pitches that we've been costing us. It's losing at home to Worthing. Yeah, it's getting done like a bug to Hampstead, not Hampstead, but you know, other teams. Hampton and Richmond, I think, because um, uh, it's that's it's costing us. Yeah, it's losing games. I mean, I say games we should be winning. I went down the fixture list to see what the rest of the games over the next, I think, six games were. And you're looking, and you, you simply cannot decipher anything other than a win. I mean, you get to the oval game and you go, ooh, banana skin. But all the other, you're like, this is a team that are, a hundred, what are there, 96 teams in the Football League and another 24. So they're like ranked about 143rd in the country. You're going, with respect, Torquay should be rolling these over. This should be an FA Cup first round fixture where they sell out their allocation to come to play more because it's their big day out. And then we win 3-0 on ITB3 and we we ruin their day and a load of kids with foil covered FA Cup cutouts go out, get pictured crying and then go home via the fish and chip shop to console them. This should not be a league game that we are looking at going, oh, I don't know if we can win them or take a point at home to these. So it's difficult to know. But I mean, we've got teams who are right down the bottom and the one half decent side that we have to play relatively that we have to play in the next few weeks has been called off because we've got to go to bloody Hereford in the bloody FA Trophy. So, I mean, I think it's the concern that we haven't been anybody around us yet in this division. I think that the highest ranked team right now is Bath and they're eighth. Um, okay. We seem to have played a lot of teams who were top. We played Yeovil when they were top. We played Avely when they were top. We played Worthing when they were top. And we've lost to all of them. And we've lost to all of them. Yeah, that is true. Um, who else was top? Did we play someone else? I don't know. I can't remember. Maybe had somebody like Hampton or somebody. I don't know. They were near the top, at least, anyway. Um, but, yeah, I mean, all right, Chelmsford, they're 10th. They've played the same number of games that we have. Uh, they have somehow managed to get a full eight points, fewer than we have. Tight at the back, they've only conceded 25 goals. Not great going forward. They've only scored 30 goals. They've drawn a lot more games than most. They've drawn eight games, which is more than anybody else. 
have right okay so that seems probably i mean that makes sense they got a plus five goal difference so they concede yeah. one for every one they score really so that's that does make sense um so yeah i'm it's difficult to predict anything other than a win isn't it surely you just you go well You'd think that, but that being said, I mean, you looked at the first 10 games of the season and you think, well, apart from the overall, like, it's difficult to predict anything but a win. <laughs> and then you know, they the second game to get hammered at home three 0 by Worthing. So, you know, I think if, if you know, if, if you were to look at relative size of clubs and players and stature and not history, perhaps, because that doesn't make any fucking difference, but you wouldn't have, you wouldn't expect us to lose to any team in the division apart from possibly Oval occasionally, or Maidstone, because they came down for the same division as us last year. Okay, fine. Um, some, yeah, I mean, of the gulf between the non-league South and the National League, what did they get, 25 points last year? They went down. They could have doubled their points tally and still gone down. They were... They were abject. They downed tools at Christmas because they knew they were already down yeah. and just didn't bother for the rest of the season. And yet here they are, a decent side in this division... Well, they, I, I mean, obviously, they if had Nate Stone's leadership, manager, whatever, I would, you know, get to January. He'd think, okay, give it a go. We're clearly getting fucked. We're getting relegated. Let's put in place the things that we can do to succeed next season. You know, when, we would need to win 18 games out of the last 25 to have any hope of staying up. It's not going to happen. Hmm. Let's start bringing in some players from my youth. And I don't know if this is what happened, but that's what I would be doing in that position because at some point you have to understand that there's a, it's not cost balancing. You can't keep throwing money at something that's not going to happen, right? Mm. Um, maybe that's something that Carl Osborne will realize one day. <laughs> um, and I mean, even Yeovil, Yeovil last year were terrible. Like we finished comfortably above them, and they've hugely improved because they've got new owners and they've got you know they've taken one of our best players for the back end of last season. Okay, fine, but um, it's outside of us and Yeovil and maybe Maidstone. Who have lost one of their best players this week? He's mm. gone to yeah, um, striker who's got forty percent of their goals. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's um, a lot. Yeah, now outside of those three, you would expect us to beat teams, and you know, you can make the argument that for most of these teams, Yeovil and Torquay coming to town is a big day, and they can elevate them. But they're all, we should still have enough to beat them. Yeah. Um, and until recently, we haven't been good. It's not like we won games. Lost games and like, oh, we, you know, we belted 35 shots and we couldn't get anything to go and then they scored when it went off someone's ass. Like, no, we were terrible for a lot of games. <laughs> Early yeah, on. The, the games we've lost. Almost comically bad. Yeah. We, we it's were... only in the past, what, month, maybe two months that we've remembered how to play football. Um, and, you know, the I think... One we... game where we forgot, Dartford away, we got rightly trounced. Yeah. So... And that's what you can afford to, to think about taking your foot off the, the accelerator, I think the injuries, you know, you can make excuses for injuries, but they're still all full-time players. They're still full-time professionals. You, you can't, you know, think, oh, actually, we only lost one nil at Avery. That's not bad. Like, no, <laughs> let's not have any of that. No, um, nothing that involves loss and Avery. Right. But mm-hmm. the last, like I said, the last few games have demonstrated that we are improving. I think we're playing better football. Um, we we still have some players to come back who you would assume would improve the team. Most notably, Aaron Jarvis. I know there are some people who think that we're playing a better style of football without him, and that's true. But I don't think the style of football we were playing with him was our preferred style. Of football. 
nobody would have thought let's lump it up to the big man as a tactic yeah, we could play as we've played the last few weeks, which has been fairly attractive, fairly solid football. I never thought we were quite as direct as some people made out because all I'd read on, see games that were on a Saturday that I can't see on the stream and I didn't go to, all I'd read is, oh, we're doing smashing it, all we're doing is this, all we're doing is, oh, it's rubbish, just route one. And then you'd watch a 12 or 13 minute highlight video that was basically all us. And there'd be a handful of long ball, but they would be long passes. What Martin Ling used to call long passes rather than long balls. And that's fine. You know, you can you can hit a 50-yard pass to a player to run onto. No problem. It happens in the Premier League all the time. Guys hit long, long passes. We scored one the other week with um Mark Holstead kicking it out to Collins. Yeah, you, know, you, you see something, you see that they've pushed out and you've got to run, you've got to match up. You know, it it counts. If if you make a long pass, switch it to a different sport, switch it to the NFL. If, if a quarterback throws a 40-yard bomb and it hits a guy in stride, in the flat, in the open, and he just runs into the end zone, you go, watch it's a 70-yard touchdown throw. And you go, yes, it is. But if you've done, if you've had a lot on the ground, lots of little screens and slants and whatever else, to put yourself in a position where you can throw a 40-yard dime downfield, Great. You know, you've set that up. If all your quarterback does is just gets the ball and hurls Hail Mary after Hail Mary into the end zone in the hope that somebody catches it, that's a different thing entirely. And it's the same with this. If all you've got is a goalkeeper that just hammers the ball so it comes down with snow on it every time in the hope that somebody maybe wins a header, somebody maybe gets on the end of it, somebody maybe scores a goal, that's a different thing entirely from seeing, oh, that player there is available. Right, I'll kick it to him then, even though he's 70 yards away. On behalf of Talkie, you know, Talking Talkie podcast, I will apologise for Matt's egregious use of the NFL as a metaphor. Um, I think we've lost all of our remaining listeners. Um, but yeah, the point stands. And, you know, I think early on in the season, we weren't playing well. We tried to pass it. We'd lose it. We'd go a goal down and then we'd get to the last 10 minutes and we were just punting it aimlessly long. And Jarvis tried. He's just one guy. And at that point, Ash, you know, he wasn't winning as many. As, you know, Jarvis wasn't winning as many. Ash wasn't in the right places when, when he was. But there was no support because we didn't have a midfield. And I think now that that has changed. Um, you know, McGavin has suddenly turned into a fully functional football player, which is exciting. Um, and, you know, Hansen scoring the other day. So, you know, I'm sure you mentioned that one, you know, with, with, with Matt Roberts, because that was surprising. Um, so when Jarvis does get reintegrated, squad and the team I think will be using his talents a lot more efficiently than we have. Um, we saw at the back end of last season what he can do if given the chance and given the right service and I mean football's a very simple game. You just have to, it's not really about who's in the middle, it's who's getting the ball in because at some point if you're putting good quality into the box, it doesn't really matter who's there. At some point you'll score goals. Sadly, it was perfectly done. The left back, the great quality ball in wide, the left back tearing up, you know, a 39-year-old Dean Moxie sneaking in at the far post, beats a man and tucks a boy in the net. And you're like, okay, fine. You're, yeah. you're perfectly right. But I think that's sort of the point that I was kind of driving for, I think, with the whole long ball thing, was that you can play this style of football and simply drop Jarvis onto the pitch. Right, you're up front now. So when these balls are coming in, get on them. When these crosses are there, when these little triangles are happening, just get yourself half a yard of space. The ball will find its way to you somehow. 
because we don't really have the talent to kind of actually pick you out, but it will get somewhere near you. Bang it in the back of the net. Yeah. Uh, or not... hold it up for Collins, maybe not Stubbs right now, but hold it up for Collins or Lapsley or whoever. Lay it off for, you know, McGavin from 23 yards. That's a 90% chance of being a goal right now. Yeah, um, you know, so... he's more yeah. than you miss it, didn't he, at the minute? Yeah. Issue. So, yeah. Yeah, there's not no bad thing to get some of these players back, provided we understand that they simply are replacement cogs. They are not new machines. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that, that's a good thing, I think. Um, right, so please do turn up. Oh, let's do predict. What do you think is going to happen against Chelmsford? Chelmsford? Well, I don't feel confident that we're not going to concede because, you know, you, know, you have to look at the goals against Colin this year, which is a stupid number. I think it's 35 which is crazy in 20-odd games. Uh, so I'm going to say we're going to win 4-1. Um, okay, I'm I'm apparently more pessimistic than you. I'm going to say we're going to win 3-1. Well, like I actually were... almost said 3-1, but I feel like I've said 3-1 the last three or four times I've predicted something. Okay. But I haven't got it right. The only, I've only got one right this season. I've got 5-1 right. I got when we beat um, Worthing, whoever it was. No, not Worthing. Worthing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just kind of picked that score out of my backside and somehow it happened to work and I look like a genius, which is incredible because anyone who's listened to these podcasts would know that's not the case. Absolutely, yeah, and doubly so for people who've met you and listened to the podcast. Um, so just me, then, I think. Um, the Yeah, all right, I'll have 3-1. One. Um, 3-1 one and no red cards because it seems that we get a lot of red cards at the minute. So Yeah, the, the recent one was a bit stupid, but what are you going to do? I mean... You know, it's a one-game suspension. He'll be back the week after. We play next Tuesday. I have no idea. Oh, it's Boxing Day, so probably. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, Truro. Truro. Um, so just go into the new year on, you know, continuing this good run. And I I still don't think the title's out of the question. I said a few weeks ago, you're going to be chipping a point here, a couple of points there. Um, you'll lose ground on a couple of occasions. But I would be more concerned if I was a Yeovil fan than I have been at any point in the season because they're dropping points and they're not playing great from what I hear. No, they are. They have been as good as they possibly can have been because if they won something 14, 15 in a row, they will not be that good again for the rest of the season. They will just go on an ordinary run now to the end of the season. Right. We, on the other hand, have been probably as bad as we could realistically have been. And we hopefully now will also go on an average run to the end of the season. Those two things will balance out. It's probably going to be tighter than you think. Yeah. I mean, we may not you know. If we don't, then we know when it was lost. We, it was lost in August, September and October. Yeah. Um, but I think there's going to be more twists and turns to come. I think finishing second is not the end of the world because we should win the playoffs. As we were saying before, there's not a lot in this division outside of the two of us. Um, presumably, you know, you probably wouldn't play Maestro until the final either. So, um, yeah, it could be a... Of course, not going up is a failure. And no one's under any illusions otherwise. But I don't think it's the end of the world if we go and play, especially if we do finish second, because then that gives us a bit of extra time to rest the oh, 17 fun. players who would have been cropped before then. Yeah, yeah, I agree entirely. Right. Um, thank you very much indeed for your uh, contribution, for sliding in so um, effortlessly and seamlessly as you have done today. Um, so thank you uh, to you for doing uh, that. Enjoy your time between now and whenever you're next on, and we'll see you at that stage. 
dear listeners, please do donate to Soccer Extinct if you can. Uh, this has been Talking Talkie. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>